0: You're listening to audio from Praxis Church, Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you're interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. Okanagan Valley Pregnancy Care Center is a non-profit, faith-based organization dedicated to helping families facing an unexpected pregnancy, pregnancy losses, And those experiencing stress after an abortion. Our trained caring support workers are here to help families through these difficult times in a loving, respectful and non-judgmental environment. We offer pregnancy tests, crisis support workers, education and training to help navigate the first steps of motherhood. Last year alone we helped 180 clients, 104 babies and currently have another 24 babies on the way. We are devoted to helping women and teens facing an unexpected pregnancy know that they are not alone. There is hope, and life is precious. If you or someone you know is in need of help in the midst of a difficult circumstance, or if you want to partner in supporting us in our mission, we'd love to hear from you.
1: Well, good morning. If I've met you before, my name is Josh, the pastor here at Praxis. Um, If This is home. You're looking at that video and you're wondering, hey, that is not the Proverbs intro video. You're absolutely right. Um, That is a little commercial that we put together the past couple weeks for Okanagan Valley Pregnancy Care Center. They're a great organization. Um, We've actually got them out in the foyer today and we encourage you to stop by there on your way out. Find out more about the great work they do. Um, This is an organization me and Rebecca found right when we moved to Kelowna because of the fantastic work they're doing. I'm going to have a hard time. Here, But um, in Canada, every day, 312 babies are aborted. This grieves the heart of God. These are all funded by our government. Meanwhile, organizations that step into the gap and help people who are making the choice to keep their babies in the midst of some really horrific circumstances, they are not funded. There is no support for that. And this is why we as a church have been partnering with this organization ever since our inception because we believe they're doing um, great work to preserve life, which is God's work. Children are a heritage from the Lord, they're a blessing. This organization's doing great work. And so I wanna encourage you, me and Rebecca have become monthly supporters of them for the last several years. My prayer is that like, we'd have 100 people from Praxis who would go, hey, I can give 10 bucks a month. I can give 25 bucks a month towards this to help um, this great organization as they step in and help people through this. Um, This is a controversial topic that the church doesn't talk about much in Canada, and we are presently at the situation we are at because 20, 30 years ago, the church didn't talk about this. Um, I'm not going to be that type of pastor. We're not going to be that type of church. We're going to talk about the tough things, um, which we're doing this morning. (laughs) We're talking about wisdom for parenting. But Praxis, could I encourage you to join with me in becoming a monthly supporter for this great organization? Additionally, AS A CHURCH, WE CUT THEM A CHECK TODAY FOR 7500 bucks. I JUST WANT TO LET YOU GUYS KNOW um, THIS IS SOMETHING THAT WE FEEL IS NEAR AND DEAR AND CLOSE TO OUR HEART. AND SO um, BECAUSE OF THE GREAT GIFT AND GENEROSITY OF THIS BODY, WE'RE TRYING TO DO THAT CORPORATELY, BUT LET'S DO THAT AS INDIVIDUALS AS WELL. Um, ANYWAY, PUTTING THAT IN FRONT OF YOU, TAKE SOME TIME, STOP BY, GRAB SOME OF THEIR LITERATURE, GET TO KNOW DEB AND LINDA ARE OUT THERE AT THE BOOTHS, WONDERFUL LADIES. I'm um, doing the Lord's work here in Kelowna, so could I encourage you to stop by? We are um, talking about parenting, which is kind of how these two ideas hold hands. We believe children are a heritage from the Lord. Um, they're a treasure, they're a blessing, and they, it also requires a lot of wisdom to do this. Um, if you're a parent in the room, um, you can say amen right now. Yeah, okay. Um, open your Bibles up. We're gonna be in Proverbs. If you have your Proverbs notebook, um, take some notes if you're a parent. Hopefully, some of this is helpful. Um, while you open your Bibles up, I'm going to open us in a word of prayer because um, this is another, uh, this is a, a, t- a tough topic this morning. But Proverbs gets after it, so we're going to do the same thing. Um, Father, I thank you as we've been singing. You, the God of the universe, came in rescue and pursuit of us. You sent your Son to die in our place so that we could be rescued and redeemed and and purchased back. I pray that this morning as we open your word, that the instruction you've preserved for us, well, through all of scripture, but in the book of Proverbs, um, you, that you've preserved for us that we might grow in our discipleship and our, our, our belief and, and our, our, our convictions and our faith would unpack in every part of our lives. I pray that that would take place this morning as we study parenting and what that looks like from a biblical, godly perspective. I need you. Holy Spirit, I ask for your empowerment to just unpack the truths that are contained in this infallible, God-spoken text. As we unpack it, would you come help our lives to be lived in light of it? And I, I need you for this task, so I ask for your empowerment, and I pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen. All right. I've already said it. Parenting is the hardest thing you will ever do. If you, have, um, you, don't, if you don't have kids, you don't know this yet. If you have uh, kids, you know this. This is the hardest thing um, you will ever do. Parenting is very difficult. It can be frustrating. It can give you joy. It can be exhausting and stressful and nerve-wracking as well as fun and rewarding all before noon. Somehow, it, it does this. It's, it's, a, it's a tough task. It, it makes you ask questions like, how did my parents do this? Right? Anyone else? You know, why is it so hard to put someone who's sleepy to sleep? I don't know. It's it's tricky, and and it makes us look for wisdom. It, you're like, how do I do this? Once you landed it, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's baptism by immersion. That's what it is. How do I do this? So you go and you look for for wisdom. Maybe you look to another parent. Maybe you um, you listen to podcasts or you read books and. We, if you have kids, you've went somewhere looking for wisdom. I would say there's no place better than the scriptures to go. So all 66 books of this that together make the scriptures, they, they have things to teach us about parenting. But possibly no book of the Bible speaks more pointedly to parenting than the book of Proverbs. Uh, it is, is is full of great wisdom. And uh, it, so if you're here and you're a parent, this is one for you. If you're here and you're not a parent, chances are one day you will be, and, and I would just encourage you to um, re- think about these things now. The time to prepare is actually before you have kids. I remember when we um, found out we were pregnant with our oldest, Temperance, I started reading right away because my wife had a big family and she was a nanny, but I was an only child. I had no clue what I was doing. The best thing I ever did was begin reading nine months before um, Temperance came along, and it was still baptism by immersion. So if you don't have kids now, start thinking about these things right now. Um, Maybe you're through that season. There's still, I think, lots that can be gleaned from here. Proverbs isn't quiet about it, so we're we're gonna dig in and we're gonna take a look at what it has to say. And what we're going to look at is three things. First is the objective of parenting, the instruction of parenting, and the correction of parenting. Now, if we're going to talk about this, though these things, we need to take a look at the Bible, and we should begin at the beginning, which we find in Genesis 1.28. It says, God blessed them. It's after making the whole world, everything in it. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the first place that we see this command towards Parenting: A couple things that we see in that text. One is that he gave us a job, which we talked about last week. He gave us a task to do. Then he told us to do something else. He said, go and make babies. Be fruitful and multiply. And I believe this command stands right through to today. God commanded us and made us to have children and increase greatly. There are some today who who choose to marry and not have children, and there's a variety of reasons, to be fair, but I can't help but think some of them might miss the reason why God actually made us. Some will go, I don't want to have kids because it'll affect my career. Um, I won't be able to compete in races anymore. I I don't know. There's a variety of reasons. Um, I want more of my time. I don't think I can do this. Whatever it might be, the reason that we come up with shouldn't trump the command that God gave us, which is to be fruitful and multiply. We talked about this earlier on in the, well, actually last year in our Genesis series. Um, God commanded us to have children, and we need to think rightly of them. They are not, they're they're not things that slow us down or keep us from our purpose. They're not balls and chains. They're blessings. They are our purpose, according to the scripture. Psalm says this, the Psalms 127, "'Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord.'" The fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. A couple things this verse tells us. We'll just leave it up so you can look at it. One, children are a blessing. Children are a blessing, and we need to think biblically on this one. They're not things that slow us down. They don't prevent us from achieving our purpose. They are our purpose. Second thing, if you notice here, is that children are described as arrows, which is an interesting um, thing to compare them to. Children are like arrows, and as I've thought and I've meditated on this, here's what I think it's talking about, is that you and I fight a battle in our lives, a frontline battle, and if we're fighting that with a sword, I think that's just through the work we do and how we live our lives, we're fighting, expanding the kingdom of God here on earth. Children are like arrows that are shot over that frontline into coming battles, Just like in war, the archers would shoot over the front line to take care of what's coming, our children are these arrows that we're shooting into the future for future battles. Church, our our, our children are future fighters. Our work enables us to participate in the expansion of God's kingdom in the world right now. Our children are the things that we're shooting into the future that will continue this work of expanding God's kingdom on earth. They're arrows, and the one who fills his quiver with them is blessed now, if we are going to raise children who outlive us, <laughs> it's going to take wisdom, right? But if we're going to raise children who walk in obedience to the Lord and live out his commands in their generation, to bring the kingdom of God to bear on the world and, and teach their children to walk in, in the way and to, who fear and, and love the Lord, then it's going to take great wisdom. Proverbs opens saying this, hear my son, your father's instruction, right from the onset what we see is that this book is presented as counsel and wisdom to Solomon's son. It is for all intents and purposes a a parenting guide for all generations that come after. We get to see how the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus was training his his kids. Proverbs is a God-breathed divinely ordained ordained manual on how to raise children. And as we open the scriptures, and we take a look at the council of Proverbs, but the whole thing, what we find is this. God designed, um, God's design, pardon me, for building his kingdom on earth primarily takes place through the family. God's design for building his kingdom is primarily done through the family unit, and it should come as no surprise, then, that God's word is packed full of verses about how to raise our kids in the teaching, training, and discipline of the Lord. How we can teach and train them to do that. But before we can get into teaching and training, we need to talk about this the objective of parenting. Because if we're gonna design a syllabus or some training in order to get our kids somewhere, we gotta know where we're trying to get them to. Or you're divining, what are you designing a syllabus for? We need to know what the objective is. And one verse primarily comes to mind when I think about what the objective of parenting is. It's in Proverbs 22. It says this, train a child up in the way he should go so even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's the biblical objective. Our objective might be different. It might be to make sure our kids don't starve to death or fall off the roof and die. But biblically speaking, the objective is that they would be trained up in the way that they should go. That's the objective of parenting. Our, and this language here, train up, it's um, kind of at the root in, in the original language. It means to set on the right path from the earliest of days. To be set on the right path from the earliest of days. And our, our childhood years are formative years. We're shaped by them. Some of us, were working through counseling right now because we were so shaped by our childhood years. Our childhood years shape us. They, they just do. Charles Bridges, he said this. He said, our character largely takes the form of that mold into which our early years were cast. What is early learnt is most tenaciously retained. I like that. What is early learnt, which is most tenaciously retained. And, and some of us, we know this. The older you get, you start to see the things that you were when you were really young become really hard to shake as you get older. They're ingrained in you. To quote Jordan Peterson on this, he said, the goal of parenting is to make your kid as socially acceptable as they can be by the age of four because after that, they're stuck. I heard JP say that once. I think it's true. We're to train them while they're young, but what are we training them for? Is the question. We've all got um, probably lots of objectives for our parenting, things that we want our kids to grow into. We have goals and ambitions and desires for them. But biblically speaking, it's, we shouldn't just be trying to make them, you know, mature enough to leave the house or get good grades and get into good schools or do this or do that or whatever objective we might have for them. Our objective should be to make them godly, to make them people who fear the Lord because Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and it would say later, understanding and even later, wisdom. If we want our kids to be anything, fear of the Lord is at the foundation of it. Our first job is to teach our parent or our kids not just to be moral, but to fear the Lord, honor the Lord, revere the Lord and his commands, to re- relate correctly to the God of the universe through his son Christ. That's our job as parents. And so with that said though, I just wanna ask us is if, if we take an honest look at our life, does the objective we have for our kids match up with the biblical objective? What practically does it look like our objective is for our kids? Is it to be, I don't know, great athletes? I want them to be good skiers like like I was, and my dad before me was. You know, I want them to be a great musician. I want them to get good grades so they can go to a good school. What practically does it look like that our objective for our kids are? I've seen so many kids out in little onesies little like in little onesies that'll say like future chess champion, or like <laughs> all sorts of things, future musician, genius in training. Oh really? That's cute, right? We should have onesies that say, future fearer of the Lord. That's what the objective for our children is to be. Our job is to train them to be future fighters. Proverbs says we're to train them to know and fear the Lord, to obey his word. And so our objective of parents should be to raise children who love and obey the Lord because if they play for the Olympic team but they don't love the Lord, we failed them. If they get into Harvard on a full ride, but they don't love and fear the Lord, we've failed them. If they play every instrument on the planet proficiently, we've failed them if they don't love the Lord and fear him. Our job is to train them to be future fighters, to be disciples of Jesus after we are gone. But this won't happen by default. And if you're here and you've got a notebook, hopefully we gave you one on the way in, I think this is worth writing down. Our children are being enculturated. Our children are being enculturated. Here's what I mean by this, is that we don't default into discipleship to Jesus. We're all being formed, but what is that form directing us towards? Our children are being formed, they are being enculturated, it's either by us as parents or it's by the culture discipling our children, training them up in the way they should go is not a passive activity. It doesn't happen by default. It takes intentionality. If we are not actively training our kids in the way that they should go, something else or someone else will step in and take over that formation task for us. It's what happens all the time. Um, Flip over to uh, Judges 2. I want to show you something from there that speaks right to this point. Judges 2, just to set up where I'm going to pick up here, um, the people of God had been delivered from Egypt. This is the story of the Exodus. God came and has miraculously moved um, to deliver them from the gods of Egypt, from the cruel hand of Pharaoh, parted a sea, led them through the wilderness, um, and crossed to the Jordan. They've now entered the promised land. This is where we pick up. Judges 2, verse 6, it says, Joshua spoke to the people that um, he dismissed the people after they came in. They all went to their own inheritance and chunk of land. and pardon me, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the servant of the Lord, he died at 110 years old and they buried him within the boundaries of His inheritance. And all that generation were gathered to their fathers. And there arose, though, another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Verse 11, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So God delivers them from the the futile worship before the Egyptian gods. Every single plague is God striking a different Egyptian god, flexing and showing his might over a different god Hopefully, we'll get into that series at some point up the road because that's a fantastic book. But they, they go from this futile worship in Egypt. They're delivered by the hand of God, parting seas, leading them by pillars of fire and cloud, and then they come into the land and they die and their kids go right back into idol worship. How could that happen? Verse 10 tells us. Take a look down at verse 10. Right at the back end of it, it says... How did it happen? Because there there arose another generation who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Their parents didn't teach them. Their parents didn't train them. So what happened? The culture stepped in and informed them. They ended up bowing before the same idols as the culture. Why? Because their parents did not train them to bow before the Lord. That's exactly what happened. And hear this. Our kids will bow before the idols of our culture if we don't train them to bow before the Lord. Our kids will bow, will bow before the idols of the culture if we don't train them to bow before the Lord. Why? Because culture and will always come in and fill any gap that we leave as parents. Our kids are being formed. The question is, are are we intentional in that? Are we actively engaging in it? This is going to lead us into our second point now, which is the instruction of parenting. We've talked about now the objective. We're to train them to be worshipers of God, followers of God, obedient to God. But that's going to require intentional instruction on our part. And I can't think of any better verse to go to that speaks to that than Deuteronomy 6. God here commands his followers this... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So there's a command we're to embody. But then he says, these words I'm commanding you today, they shall be upon your hearts. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And speak of them when you sit down at home, when you walk along the road, when you're on car trips, when you're waiting in here, when you're putting them to bed. Look at When you lie down, when you get up, we're to teach these things to our kids. That's what Deuteronomy 6 says. Our jobs to love the Lord and to obey Him. And if we love Him, we will then teach our children to do the same thing, to diligently teach our children the law, instruction, and commands of the Lord is what it means to love Him. And this is the foundation of knowledge and wisdom. Again, Proverbs says it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What better thing could we give our kids They can't go and understand the world apart from the one who made it. It's impossible. If we believe this, then we as parents need to do more than just raise them up to get out of our house. We want to train them to fear and love the Lord. We need to do more than make sure they get into a great school. Our objective is that they serve the Lord and they think rightly about the world so that they have the wisdom necessary to navigate whatever the world might toss at them that they might know what it looks like to serve the Lord with their money, what it looks like to serve the Lord and be wise with their marriages, what it looks like to think of work correctly, to guard their words. All of these things we've been talking about through Proverbs, we're to teach and train to our kids. And Solomon embodies this. He wrote a book on it. So his son would know all of these things. Likewise, should we? That's our objective, and that's our responsibility as parents, is to train our kids And I'll say this, our job as a church is to help with that task, but the church will not take that task over for you. You bring your kids to Sunday school, that's not ensuring that they're trained in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. If you get your kids to youth group, or even if you get them to come and sit in here, hopefully it's all helpful, but it will not take over that task. That task is on the, the parents' We've got a lot of resources to help with that. If you didn't know, up on our website, um, you can go to practicechurch.ca, go to the resources tab. We've got a kids and family section with a lot of resources that we think are really helpful. They've been the ones that have been most helpful to me as I tried to figure out... um, what does it look like to honor the lord in parenting but there is a lot of other resources that you know we could recommend for some of the specifics as well but just want you to know we have that up there cuz we care we want to help resource our, our kids ministry is using a, a catechism to help train kids through a set of questions so they know how to answer some of the big questions of culture but it's not enough to just pass that to uh, the the church community we need to we need to take care of that within our own families, because our kids need wisdom for countless areas of life. And I don't know, none of our church staff know what your kids are going through, but parents should. We should know what our kids are going to face, and then we need to equip them for the world that they are going to face. This is what Proverbs is. It's 900 Proverbs from Solomon to his son to equip him for what he saw coming. He saw things coming and he went, I got to write about this. I got to write about this. So he's equipped when it comes. And likewise, as parents, we need to scan the horizon and take a look. Okay, our kids are those arrows we're shooting into the future, but what's coming? we got to equip them for close quarter combat with that. For when we're gone. We need to know the issues that are coming. And then equip ourselves so that we can train and disciple them. This week, I was writing that and I just got severely convicted, I was thinking about the things that are coming culturally for my kids, and going, How, what am I not seeing? One of the things that really just began to hammer home for me is the need to train our kids in logic, just the rules of logic, because our culture has divorced itself from it, and if you know logic, a lot of things just do not pass the sniff test, so I bought three more books, kids' books on logic. I have a couple that I've already worked through. We've worked through with our kids, but we've got a couple more because I think this is such an essential thing. They need to know their word, but they need to be able to smell some of the garbage that's coming down the line too. And some of it, if you have just a basic understanding of logic and your mind turned on, it, it wouldn't pass the sniff test. And so it's something I'm trying to do with my kids. And, and doing these types of things, viewing what's coming and equipping them for them, hear this, it's holy work. That's holy work. That's disciple-making. That's what we're called to do. We're to train them to obey the Lord. And and Proverbs gets to this. Solomon says, My son, keep your father's commandments. Forsake not your mother's teaching. And, oh man, I want to be like this. I want to be able to train my kids in such a way that I can point back and go, Remember what I taught you. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to write a book with 900 Proverbs uh, might find some time to do that yet. We'll see. But that that's the sort of legacy we want to leave for our kids. Instruction on what it looks like to obey the Lord so they can draw back on that for the rest of their lives. Because if we train them to be great students but don't train them to think biblically, we failed them. If we train them to throw a ball but don't train them to think biblically, we failed them. If we train them to do this or that, but do not train them in this. We have failed them royally. We, we need to train them to fear and obey the Lord. Because Proverbs says this, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. We need to train our kids to revere God's word and listen to his instructions for a couple reasons. One, for fear of consequences. One day, we are all going to stand judgment before the Lord and give an account for our obedience and our disobedience. We want to equip them for that day. That's a more important thing than your university entrance exams. One day, our kids are going to stand before the Lord, and so will we, and we want to equip them for that day. So we need to warn them of consequences, but we also train them in the Word for another reason, which is to point them to joy because with obedience, in obedience to the Lord is the greatest joy. We should want that for our kids. It's these reasons that we're to teach and train our kids in the word of the Lord. And if you take a look at, at the word of the Lord and the commands that he gives us, kind of at the very beginning, there's 612 of them in the Old 613 in the Old Testament, but the most famous, the Ten Commandments, the fifth of those commandments is this. It's to honor your father and mother. So, if we're gonna teach our kids to obey the Lord, we also need to teach them to obey us. And if they're disobeying us, they're they're disobeying the Lord. If your kids don't obey you, they're they're not obeying the Lord and they won't go on to obey the Lord. And that's dangerous. But notice here that there's a promise in, in obedience it says, Honor your father, father, and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord's giving you. There's a promise that's spoken to kids. But then Colossians, it actually picks up on the same thing. So it tells children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. But now it goes on to give a command to fathers in this task. Um, It speaks to fathers because fathers are the spiritual head of the household and just as when God came down and and, and confronted Satan and Adam and Eve in the garden, he came to Adam and spoke to him because he was the head He was the one responsible. Fathers, we wear a a burden where we will give a greater account to the Lord over the stewardship and discipleship of our families. And so this is why I think Colossians says this to fathers. After telling, look at this, children, obey your parents in everything for it pleases the Lord. Now it says, fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Other translations say don't exasperate your children don't kind of just wear them down. Don't embitter them. Your kids are to obey you, but don't wield that brutally. Don't rule over them like a tyrant. They should know you're loving them. And I, I mean, that is convicting as a father. I don't know about anyone else in the room, but sometimes my obedience doesn't line up with that. This is biblically what we're to be doing. We're to be calling them to obey the Lord. Not every silly, crazy rule I've come up with. Yeah, they need to obey that. But it's not about my power kicks. It's not about domineering. It's about forming them into wholehearted disciples of Jesus. And I'm going to say something important here that might be counterintuitive somewhere. Maybe I haven't thought of this before. Our goal in parents and calling our kids to obedience is is, is not just... To change their actions, but to change their hearts. We're not just trying to change our kids' actions to be obedient. We're trying to change their heart to be obedient. Proverbs, it says this. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything we do flows from it. If you were with us a few weeks ago when we talked about words, we talked about how out of the overflow of our mouth, Or out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks, pardon me. So it's what's going on in our heart kind of bubbles out and comes out of our mouth. Here it's saying the same thing. Everything we do flows from our heart. Now, it's great if you can kind of clamp your mouth and not say everything that's going on in your heart, but it's still going on in the heart, right? And so the goal is that our heart gets transformed. This is what I'm talking about. It's not just to deal with the actions that come out. It's to deal with the source of it, the heart, the heart. It's out of the overflow of our heart that these actions spring. And so our goal as parents isn't just to treat external actions because the heart isn't transformed through treating external behaviors alone. We need to do more than just come up with some religious rules. That doesn't change the heart. Actually, many religious people miss this because religion misses this. Religion makes things about external actions rather than the eternal state of the heart. But remember, Jesus rebuked the, re- the religious people of his time for this very thing. He called them whitewashed tombs. Externally, you look so perfect, but inside, you're just full of dead man's bones. You've got all your poop in a pile externally, but internally, there's a mess. That's what he's trying to to deal with. We're not just concerned with outward actions. We're concerned with the heart. And now catch this, okay? Bribing your kids with rewards if they'll stop certain behaviors doesn't take care of the heart. It might actually just cause them to become more selfish people. Oh, okay, well, I'll obey them and I can continue to get what I want. You're feeding the wicked heart to control the external actions. It's not taking care of the heart. Giving time notes, same thing, will teach a child to adjust their behavior to avoid consequences, but still doesn't deal with the rebellious state of the heart that led them towards disobedience in the first place. If we wanna get to the heart of the issue, we need to get to the heart. We need to help them see what's happening in their heart when, I don't know, when they steal from their sibling. When they hit their sibling, when they disobey us, what's going on in the heart? And guess this: this is the question of all of Christian discipleship. It's always what's happening in my heart? Not just what's happening through my hands. This is what we always need to be asking ourselves. What's happening in my heart when I lie about how many hours I've worked at work? What's happening in my heart when I'm lusting? What's happening in my heart when I'm talking trash about that person? What's happening in my heart when I'm doing this? They're different things, but they're connected. If we want to get to the heart of the issue, we need to get to the heart, and this is going to lead us into our third point, which is the correction of parenting. Correction, discipline. Um, This is a contentious topic. Outside the church, but also inside of the church. Some of you, I can see you holding your breath already. The reason um, I think this has become such a contentious issue is that culture holds a different view about the human heart than the Bible does. Um, Most of us are too young. I certainly am to remember when this first kind of came into vogue in our culture, but uh, within the last hundred years, a number of different people have begun to speak to what the human heart is actually like. Um, way back, a guy named Benjamin Spock wrote a book to parents um, that spoke very differently about the human heart, more in line with what Maslow and his Hierarchy of Needs said, is that, hey, we're all good inside, but there's these external things that kind of cause us to act a certain ways. so you can take care of people just by meeting all their external needs. Because at the core of it, our heart is good. That's what culture teaches. So. Um, we're good. Follow your heart. Listen to your heart. Look within. This is the messaging of our culture. But the Bible says something different. It, it doesn't say that at our core we're good, but rather the Bible says that our heart is desperately wicked. The entrance of sin into the world changed our human hearts, and actually now we're all affected by it, and if we were to follow our hearts anywhere, it would fall. we'd be following it straight to hell. The Bible commands us to... Deny ourselves rather than confirm or uh, affirm and indulge every desire. Paul says this in in 1 Corinthians 9. He says um, that in order to obey God, he disciplines himself. He disciplines himself because his heart wouldn't naturally take him where he wants to go. He needs to control his heart, in other words. He disciplines himself. And likewise, so we all need to be doing that. We need to be disciplining ourselves. But if we're a parent, biblically speaking, we also need to be disciplining our children, meaning helping them see where their heart is taking them in a wrong direction. We do it to ourselves, but we're also to do it with our kids. Um, and this, this is a a, a has been a bit of a culturally weird idea. It's become a bit foreign, and even in the church, to look at things this way and look at discipline this way. But as of late, it seems that uh, more professionals, more secular professionals, are acknowledging this very same thing, acknowledging that behaviors do need correcting. I'll quote Jordan Peterson, because I know you guys all love him, but uh, he wrote a book, uh, his famous book, 12 Rules for Life. He has a chapter called... Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them, which is an amazing chapter title, right? Uh, do not let your kids do things that you dislike in them. So, And and he says that in here. A purely positive type of behavior management is effective but slow. We should train our kids through positive reinforcement, but negative reinforcement is valuable and needed as well. So a secular guy, now you know some of you are like, is he on the cusp? Um, is he a Christian? We don't know. I think he's writing as a secular here, though, and he says negative reinforcement is valuable and needed as well. Um, Peterson writes, every parent should reward good, the good things in them that are, gonna, that are praiseworthy qualities. My kid's got a great work ethic. They're creative. We should praise those things. But they've also got some qualities that are not praiseworthy that are going to bring them harm. We should correct those. And, and I, he's quite in line with what the Bible is saying in that regard. I'll give you an example. Um, my One of my daughters, I took to a wedding that I was officiating years ago. And um, there was a big gas fireplace in this dance hall, kind of like this. She's spinning around and dancing, and she kept going for this thing. We didn't have a gas fireplace, so she didn't really know what was going on. She's enamored, she's trying to touch it and push her face up against it. And I tried to lure her away with candy from the candy bar for a while. Hey, come over here for a gummy worm. Stay away from that, I'll give you this thing. So positively trying to control the action. Didn't. She went, oh great, I get candy. Right? She kept going back. So eventually I had to take her and and say and flick her hand and say, hey, there's danger over there. And flick her hand, which is a good, good initial thing. But it didn't really help. Um, she is tough. I'll just put it that way. She's tough as nails. Tough-willed. She kept going back. Kept going back. Eventually, I wasn't there to flick her hand, and she went and she put her hand up against it and melted her skin. And And I'm gonna lose some people now (laughs) when I say this. Based off of what I believe the Bible teaches, what I would do now is I I would take her in love in order to keep her from that. I'd give her a little spank on the bum. And I would say, you need to not go over there. There's danger. This is a little foretaste of the danger that awaits if you go over there. Now, some are offended by that, but I'm more offended by the fact that you let your kid melt your hand on the fireplace, personally. This is the idea behind Biblical discipline, is we're saving our kids from future pain, from future consequences, near-term consequences, like touching the fire, but also future consequences, eternal consequences that, are come, that come by way of disobedience. There's real hazards, and this is a loving action, to, to keep them from, from heading for a lot more pain in this life and next. And Proverbs has a lot to say about this style of of, um, correction, discipline. Proverbs 13. So many verses I could quote. I'll give you a bunch though. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them or correct them or warn them. That's what you can read when you think of discipline. Those who don't do that hate their children. Those who do it they do love their children. They care enough to discipline them. Now, I'll acknowledge, okay, some have used this verse to justify atrocity, beating, abuse. And I, I just cannot emphasize enough, the Bible does not support that. It does not sanction. It does not promote the physical abuse of children. Many here, you have seen or been, um, like myself, uh, you've, you've seen this exercised in terrible ways either against others or yourself. Discipline that's done in anger because something annoyed the parent, because the parent was angry. So the child gets beat on by whatever's in the parent's hand. This is not what the Bible is talking about. It's talking about lovingly disciplining our children, correcting them, guiding them to save them from future pain and eternal pain. The rod refused here is not what we think of when we think of rod, it's not a shower rod It's not a big stick. This was a thin, little, flexible thing that would be used. So you're not beating your kid. You're using something to correct them. The child would be struck on the fleshy part of their bottom, and it would inflict a sting, not a welt, not a bruise, to correct them and warn them with a small administration of something that is coming when the kid isn't listening to the correction that's already been given out. Now, some have seen abuses and pulled away from any form of corrective discipline that includes a physical form because they think that this is, you know, the only way that discipline can be done is in anger. And so they think that any, you know, any corrective discipline is is wrong. And so the only thing you can do is kind of positively affirm. This verse says uh, failing to discipline is not only in loving. Ignoring direct disobedience can actually make a child vulnerable to an ongoing spirit of rebellion in their heart. It can allow that to grow and grow and grow in the child because it's never been addressed or corrected. Failing to discipline fails to warn the child of the danger associated with disobedience. And just as it would have been, I mean, less painful for my daughter not to touch the fire by way of corrective discipline from my hand rather than the fire, so too are the tough lessons of life better learned from the loving discipline of our parents than from the brutal retribution that comes by way of life teaching it to us. Some of the lessons my mom failed to teach me because I outgrew her when I was like seven, I learned painfully in other ways. The lessons I didn't learn here... Some of them I'm still learning, and I wish I'd learned them, but some of them I learned brutally. And if I would have been corrected by way of a loving spank, correction of sun form, I mean, it could have saved me jobs. It would have saved me so much heartache, so much embarrassment. And literally, in my case, it would have saved me punches that I have taken to my head. I... In hindsight, the discipline seemed tough as a youngster. I wish I'd learned more of it. I wish I'd had more of it. Anyone else with me on that? Wish you'd been disciplined more when you were young because it is so hard to learn. It's way easier to learn at three or seven or 10 than 30 and 40. It's so, so hard. There's a saying it's easier to repair, or sorry, it's easier to train children than to repair broken men. So true. These things are ingrained in us. And I look back and it was unloving to not train me in some of these things because, I mean, we're all learning lessons by, by life. It's just easier to learn them in this small, corrective place at the beginning. The timeouts I got, they didn't work. Going to my room didn't work. I see many people today that use this technique. Um, I was out with my kids yesterday. I took them to the science center in Vernon, and seeing this parent going, if you don't listen, you're going to have to sit on that chair for a few minutes. Guess what? The child didn't listen. They didn't listen before. They didn't listen with that either because the parent doesn't follow through on it. Okay, if you don't listen and come back here, I'm going to put you on that chair. It still doesn't come. I'm going to count to five. <laughs> five... Four, get to the end, they're still not listening. I'm going to come over there and pick you up. Okay, picks him up, puts him on a carriage. But well, he doesn't stay on the chair either. He didn't listen to you at the beginning. He's not going to listen to you then either because he knows your words don't mean anything. Why would he listen to you when you put them in time out if they don't listen to you before? Proverbs 23, it says this, don't withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he won't die. He won't die, okay? You're going to train him. In fact, through discipline, Proverbs actually says you might prevent him from death. Proverbs 29, it says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. So it actually gives us something. It doesn't take something away. It gives dignity, future dignity. Gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A couple things here. Notice, some of the most profound, pronounced lessons that we learn in life come by way of difficult circumstances, Some of us, we've learned that. The school of hard knocks. Some of you went to university and you're still taking your master's there. Hard knocks impart deep lessons, right? This is true. And small discipline, um, the small discipline of instruction is far less severe than the university of hard knocks. And it keeps children away from those painful hard knocks by offering a taste of it, done in love. It shows a child where their disobedience will lead them and the it uh, gives them a taste of the consequences that will be incurred. Notice what else this verse tells us, though. To spare them discipline leaves them to themselves. When we don't discipline it, it's saying, here, go do it yourself. It's actually failing at the parental responsibility to train a child in the way that should go. When we don't discipline them, Proverbs says we're saying, just you go figure it out on your own. And a child left to themselves, it says, bring shame to their parents. And uh, 10 other verses I could quote on that, the shame that comes from an undisciplined child. Proverbs 17.25 uh, says, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to the woman who bore him. But there's a solution that Proverbs presents. Proverbs 19.18. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Don't be a willing party to their death. So blunt. Don't be a willing party to their death. Um, The New Living Translation, I I like how it words it. It says, discipline them while there's still hope. Why? Because it gets harder and harder later on. To the point where it's almost hopeless to teach them it later. Better to learn it when you're young. And this is why Proverbs 19, 18 says... Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Don't be a willing participant of their death. Proverbs 22:15. it says this, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. All of our hearts have this in it, but the rod of discipline, loving correction, is how we need to think of that word. The rod of loving correction drives it from them. Folly is in every single one of our hearts. It is an inherited thing from Adam and Eve that we all carry, and it's one that we will uniquely pass on to our children as well. All of them, all of us have uniquely learned sin from our parents. They've made us unique breeds of sinners, really creative breeds, and they found another crazy sinner, and they bred with them, and they made this new exotic breed of sinner. That's what we are. And we need to correct the sin in our hearts. And this is the goal of discipline, that our children would learn to obey God and that they would recognize their own sinful hearts and that they would go to the Lord with them. Because that's what discipleship to Jesus is, right? We go out into our day, we come to the end of it, and we go, oh man, look at how I sinned. And then at night, we bring this to Jesus, we confess our sins, and he forgives us. And we get better and better at this. This is the pattern of discipleship. Notice our sin, confess our sin, repent of our sin, receive forgiveness for our sins. John says it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. This is is what discipleship to Jesus is. And our, our correction, our discipline is meant to help with this. Hebrews says, All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Our kids will not turn into disciples of Jesus by default. It will take intentional training and discipling um, and disciplining by us as parents. This Actually, this Hebrews verse, if you read around it, go read... Hebrews 12 this afternoon or this week, it talks about how God doesn't spare us discipline. And if God didn't discipline us, it actually says we would be illegitimate children. If you remember back to Genesis last year, there's all sorts of stories there where God came and disciplined individuals according to their sin. Why? Because he's committed to them changing, to our discipleship, to, them being, to all of us being conformed in the image of his son Jesus. so much in here. I I am just kind of scratching the surface of a really big topic, but these verses, I think, compel us to action in a few ways. First is this, is to honestly answer what is our objective for our children? What does it look like our objective is for our kids? What do our kids think success looks like? it has to be teaching them to fear and obey the Lord. Second, I think, piece of action this calls us to is to scanning the horizon and looking and going, what's coming for my kids? And if they are that arrow that's being shot into the future battle, how can I equip them to do battle when that comes? That's gonna take work and effort, but that is the call of parenting. We're here, we're to pray daily, your kingdom come. They are the agents that are going to be doing that when you and I are long gone. Last thing is that we need to think biblically about disciplining our children. Proverbs 29, 17, it says, Discipline your son, he will give you rest, and they will give you delight. The culture around us would tell us we're crushing our kids through discipline, but the Bible says differently. It says that we're actually training them, and I, I want to call us as a church to think biblically on discipline go read, see what it has to say. And I'm just scratching the surface of a really big topic, and I know, as I do, there's all sorts of questions, maybe some pain points that are coming up. Um, This can be the start of a discussion. If you have things you want to talk through, um, you can email Cole. (laughs) No, me or Keith would love to chat with you. As well, I want to commend a resource. This one here is a fantastic book. That I'm reading for the second time with Rebecca right now, um, maybe the third, actually. Before we had kids, we started reading this book. It is an amazing, amazing resource that dives into in a lot greater detail than I can do in 40 minutes. There's probably more like an hour this morning I've been yakking. But this is a great resource. I couldn't commend enough. If you can't afford that book, I want to buy that for you because I think it's such a valuable resource but you can get that on Amazon as well. We've got links to that up on our site. And you can Google, and there's literally YouTube, like, um, conferences that uh, Ted Tripp and his brother, Paul Tripp, have done on this topic. So you can go listen to somebody else talk about it for more length, if that's more your style, if you're not a reader. Um, I know a lot of people today are functionally illiterate, but I think as Christians, we we should be reading. If you don't read, you are functionally illiterate, but make use of that skill, grab that book. If you're if you are, you've heard this and you go, okay, what does it look like to biblically discipline? What would it look like to begin to do this? I just want to give a couple pieces of instruction, a couple things that I think we need to keep in mind. One, this is something that is to never be done in anger. We need to remember that. Our goal is to show loving correction. The Lord is loving as he disciplines us. And that's our goal. It needs to be done in love. Now, if you're in the moment, you're feeling angry, and you're like, well, I can't do this then. No, you still need to do it. But you need to take a second and so you can do it in love. I'll, I'll say, go sit on mom and dad's bed. I'll be in in five minutes. Going for a walk to pray with Jesus. Okay? <laughs> we don't want to do it in reaction, in a moment. You want to take a second. Our reactions, generally speaking, if you're like me, aren't, don't come from good spots. They're not things I look back on and, that was good. You want to be able to take a beat and go, how do I want to act, not react? We want to do it in private so we don't affect the dignity of our child. We're not trying to take dignity. We're trying to restore dignity. This is the goal. Restoration. If they've disobeyed us, there is a break in relationship with mom and dad while you're acting disobedient. I want to restore you to right relationship within our family. If you've disobeyed the Lord, guess what? There's a break in relationship with you and the Lord. Sin dishonors God. If you're walking in a pattern of disobedience, you are not in right relationship with the Lord. And so we need to, just like we do every week here with communion, we come forward, we examine our hearts, we find our sin, we confess it so we can be restored to right relationship. First John tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We're to train our children to do that where our goal is to restore them to right relationship with us and the Lord, and then we're to conclude in prayer so that they see the objective of this. And I I can't tell you the number of times we've sat down and we go, do you understand why you're, you're gonna be corrected? Do you understand why we're here? Because I did this. Yes. What's going on in your heart? Why are you stealing from your sister? Jesus shares everything with us. God's given his son to save us. We need to be like Jesus. Then they see this, and do you see what's going on? And I help them. I'll actually even put verbiage to prayers so that they learn how to do this. Jesus, forgive me for hurting my sister. Help me to be like you. Help me to trust you. Help me forgive my my sin. Help me to have an obedient heart that trusts you. That's our catchphrase. Help us to have an obedient heart that trusts you. Thank you that you've forgiven my sin. I want to train them in that because that is all of life as a disciple of Jesus. Acknowledging your sin, confessing it, asking for forgiveness, and then thanking God that you are forgiven. That's harder to do when you're older. That's the goal of our parenting. And this is the goal of really all of life as disciples. I want to I conclude differently. I want to ask us to stand. The band's going to come up. And I want to do two things in response to this. To the parents in the room, I want to just pray that God would give us grace to raise up these future fighters. But I want to pray as well. As we're training our kids to examine their hearts, I want to just pray for all of us and lead us in a prayer of confession. Because if you're here and you're breathing, you've come in from your week having sinned. Um, 1 John says, if, you, if anyone says he's a, uh, he hasn't sinned, he's a liar and the truth isn't in him. And so here's the truth. You've sinned this week. You've sinned against the Lord. And, and maybe you haven't had the time to confess that to him yet. I want to ask you to just take a minute and do that. And then search your heart. Confess your sins. Then come take Communion. We'll have couples down here at the front or in the middle. Come and take this and remember, he's faithful and just to forgive you because he died for your sin. He's already paid for it. And there's forgiveness available if you come and confess your sins.